Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, we are rocking through this uh, series. We've been in a 10-week series. It's one of our longer ones. Um, And uh, we have been looking at um, one of the old creeds, Christian creeds. And we've been revisiting this, um, not because we don't know what the creed says, but we want to do it a little bit of a deeper dive into why these things are important, why we need to remember them and, and access the, the, the strength and the power that's at work there. So if you've got your bulletin that maybe you've found on your seat, or you tracking along in celebration world, we're just going to go ahead and jump in with this idea that uh, what we believe is the framework of our relationship with God. We've said every week that what you believe is going to determine um, how you view and see God. It just is. You, you just can't um, not have those things uh, inform one another. And so we want to make sure that our framework is healthy, that it's proper, that it's right, and allows us to get a full view of God, not a cropped view of God, not a restricted view of God, but to understand what he's done and how he has made himself known in Christ. We are revisiting the creed, and in, in particular, the old Roman creed, because it's, it's the oldest one that we uh, can connect with, And we're revisiting it um, on purpose because living in this part of the world, maybe growing up in church, there are some times that some of the things we've just heard over and over and over again, we can begin to forget what it was really about and how it's genuinely, what it's really rooted in. And just being exposed to it over and over again, sometimes we just need to go get back to why. What's the truth related to this space? I remember sitting around um, at my, my grandparents' house, my mom's parents' house, and of course, you just get everybody together and, and people just, you know, tell stories. And so, um, and of course, praise God, you know, life is, you know, easier than it was when my, when my grandparents were young, and so, and they were just talking about how, you know, of course, it's pretty common, you know, most of the times our our children, they have not only their own bed, um, but as parents, we try our hardest to even have them their own room if that's possible, and so that's, that's ideal, that's what we would like as parents is not just have their own bed, but, you know, my grandparents were like, you know, they didn't have their own room, and they, they didn't have their own bed, and my papa was telling the story, and he's like, yeah, he said, I, you know, I remember it was me and, and uh, my two brothers, and we're in the, having to share a bed together. He said, you know, and then there's just, you know, the, the blanket that's on top of us, and I'd be stuck there in the middle, and the one would grab his blanket and roll this way, and the other one grab the blanket and roll that way, and they'd pull it tight, and there I was in the middle, and the cold air is just shooting right down the, the covers, and I, I'm just freezing in the middle of this bed, and he's just telling us this story, and my grandmother says, Joe, that's my story. That was me and my sisters, and he's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) 
But there's a space where you can spend enough time with somebody that all of a sudden they're their stories become your stories, but the fact is, is that being overly familiar, sometimes we can begin to forget the truth of what it's really based on. That we can begin to recite it, but we forget the truth that it's based on. As we are revisiting this creed, we don't want something that we can simply recite, that we can simply tell again, but something we understand the truth that it's based on. And that is why we are diving into this space together. In fact, we're going back to Luke 1, 1 again, because this is part of our heritage. This is what it means to be a believer. In fact, the book of Luke was written for this purpose, for us to understand, for one guy, in fact, Theophilus, to understand what what it was and why he, he believed it. Let's go back to Luke 1.1. 1, 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to, to us by those whom from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Not just so that you can recite them, but so that you can know the certainty of the things you've been taught. That is what we want. That is we want as a church, as, as, as a ministry, we want you to know the certainty of the things that you have been taught, not just be able to quote it, not just be able to say, hey, what does the creed say? And you be able to just robotically say it, but to understand why each line of this creed is so vital and so important. We're going to go ahead and revisit the uh, old Roman creed again. And it says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and in Christ Jesus, his only son, our Lord who was born from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, who under Pontius Pilate was crucified and buried on the third day, rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, whence he will come to judge the living and the dead, and then the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the remission of sins, the resurrection of the flesh, and life everlasting. And if you've missed those first few weeks, you can find that and get caught up on any of the podcast apps, and you can uh, find us there. But this week, um, we're looking at, at this, where whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And this morning, in this line, I want us to revisit and remember the truth that Jesus will come again. Jesus will come again. We are not just <clears throat> celebrating a, a historical figure. We talked about that with, the, with Pontius Pilate and, and that that being in our creed and that, that that ties to a location and a date of when Jesus um, suffered and, and accomplished everything that he accomplished and that Jesus is truly a historical figure and that's vital and that is important. But Jesus is not a historical figure. He is a present figure. He is a right now figure. And Jesus will come again. 
And as his children, as, as, as people who are living in the kingdom, we need to be aware of that. It is vital for us to live daily in an understanding that at any moment, Jesus could return. In fact, it says that it, we ought to be crying out. It, we ought to be crying out that the bride says, come, come, Lord. Now, we're going to look at why Jesus tarries, why it's not happened in the last 2,000 years. We're just going to see the heart of God and what's at work here. We're going to look at some of what we, you and I need to do, but let's just look at some of the foundational stuff because it's not just a, some sort of a weird doctrine. It just kind of comes in one obscure passage of Scripture. It is all through. It's through Jesus' teachings. It's through the, the Pauline writing. It's through Peter's writing. It's the early church understood it and talked about it. They were looking for Jesus coming back again. Let's go ahead and look at John chapter 14, verse 3. John chapter 14, 3 says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. He's, he's ascended. We looked at that last week, that he's ascended and sits at the right hand because he's finished his work and that he will come again. It's part of his promise. Let's go ahead and look at Jesus' last words to his disciples as recorded also in, by Luke in the book of Acts. If you want a, to check something out, Cole, and to just get one good thought flow, read Luke and then jump directly to Acts because it's the same author. It's the, written to the same person. It's Luke writing for Theophilus, and you see the, the life of Jesus, and then it just picks up exactly where Luke ends and just begins to look at the early church. So Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Then they gathered around him, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Okay. Um, everybody wants to know. Everybody wants to know when Jesus is coming back. I get it. We ought, our hearts ought to be, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to see you. I'm ready for this. I am ready for this to happen. But we don't need to worry ourselves with trying to figure out the exact moment. Jesus lets us know. He doesn't even know. The Father himself has, has reserved that. But it's natural for us to want to try to figure it out. And you know what? There have been a lot of scholarly people, a lot of intelligent people, who through the years have written a book about why it's happening right now. And they find different reasons and different scriptures and different prophetic things and say, okay, what's happening here? It's happening here. Their book came out whenever I was in school and it was going to happen. And then there was a revision to that and a revision to that. So far, everybody who feels like they got it down and said, this is the moment, this is the time, they were wrong. They were wrong. But everyone who lived daily like it could happen any moment was right. So the way we do this is we don't try to pin it down. We don't try to pin it down, but we live like it can happen any given day. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He said, you're not just going to sit around and wait. You're not going to know the time and the date. You're not going to know that. That's not for you to know. But you will receive power from the Holy Spirit so that you can begin to be a witness right there where you're at in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth to be able to carry this forward. You do have an assignment. You don't have to be looking at your watch and say, well, you know, is it, are we almost done here? No, if we're still breathing oxygen, we're still connecting with other humans, we need to be sharing the goodness of God. That is what we're called to do. And then now, when he had spoken these things in verse 9, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in wide apparel who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? They're just sitting there. They'd already been given a commission, and they just can't take their eyes off the last little spot. They saw Jesus, and they're just stuck there. They're just stuck there. Why do you stand there gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, not a, di not a different Jesus, not a Jesus figure, the same Jesus, the same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same manner as you saw him go into heaven. This was the thing, an angel comes and says, yep, he's, been, he's given you the commission, go into all the world, go and get it done, but he's coming again. It's not that he's abandoned you to finish some sort of task. No, he is uh, He is put the baton in our hands to carry the truth of the gospel forward. But he is going to come again to gather us to himself. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says, But I do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep, dead, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For we, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Here, Paul is talking to the Thessalonians. He's writing to them and letting them know how to live their daily life. That there are those who, while we are sitting here waiting for the Lord to return, knowing it could happen any day, someone we care for deeply dies. Care for deeply dies. I know that there are a lot of people who have sat there and wanted Jesus to return so that they would not face something that's hard to face on this planet. Like, Lord, just come. Just come. It's getting too hard. Just come. I don't want to have to sit there at the grave of this person I love. Lord, just, just come before that happens. Just come before this happens. Paul writes and says, you know what? Based on the truth 
that guess what? The, 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 the grave isn't the end. We grieve, but we grieve in hope. We grieve in hope, and we understand that we are alive. When, when this happens, when this goes down, there are going to be humans alive when this goes down. And he says, then we're not going to precede those who have already fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cloud, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. How amazing will that be? How amazing that it's not that all of a sudden we go and then the dead follow in, in, in second tier. No, we get to see the dead rise. That's going to be pretty stinking cool. Um, where am I? And then, 17, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. These are words that should comfort us. The fact that Jesus is coming back should comfort us. When we see things going crazy, when there's wars and rumors of wars and all sorts of pandemics and all sorts of things, we understand that, guess what? God has got a plan. He understands he's going to return. There is hope. We comfort one another with the truth that we haven't been left here and we're not just got to ride this, this nasty wave out until finally sometime, somewhere it happens. No, I'm telling Jesus come back today. Jesus could come back today. It was funny that um, we were talking about this and our youngest daughter, Preslin, who's eight years old, um, she's like, Daddy, I, I don't know about this whole going up into the air thing. It's like, that's, I think I'm going to be scared. And I was like, sweetheart, I promise you, you will not be scared. I guarantee you, there will, it will not scare you whatsoever. I said, you will feel safer than you have ever felt in your life. You are going to be closer and more connected with the presence of God, the one who loves you and made you, than you have ever felt in your life. This idea that all of a sudden the frailty and the fragility of your body is sitting there is something you're not even going to think of ever again. I was like, this is going to be absolutely amazing whenever we get to do this. And it's something that we should comfort one another with. So the, the question is, is, so what do we do in the meantime? What do we do? What do we do in the meantime when we understand and we live like this could take place in any moment, but for 2,000 years it hasn't taken place at any moment so what are we supposed to do? Well, first off, these words are supposed to comfort us. So the first thing is, is, is don't let it freak you out. There are a lot of believers who just avoid anything to do with the end of times or Jesus returning or any of that because it just creeps them out. It just freaks them out. We, we can't ignore this. But don't let it freak you out. In 2 Thessalonians chapter, uh, chapter 2, um, Paul is writing his second letter to the Thessalonians. We had just read about these words that were supposed to be comforting that he wrote to them in the first letter of Thessalonians. Well, maybe some people after reading that letter 
got a little freaked out. And Paul's writing a second letter. And he writes them in this second letter. And he says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and of our being gathered to him. He had already talked to him about him in the first letter. We ask you, brothers and sisters, do not become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or a word of mouth or by a letter asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. But don't let this, don't let this subject matter, don't let some talk about this easily unsettle you. Don't be freaked out by it. Paul had to coach the Thessalonian believers and God sealed up that, that letter for us as scripture so that you and I would not be easily unsettled by this. This is something that's supposed to comfort us and encourage us. And so because he is going to come. Verse 3 goes on. I didn't put it in your notes, but it says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For the day of the Lord will not come with, until rebellion occurs and, and all of these things that are prophesied. Says, but there will be people who will try to deceive you about this. This isn't something we have to have it, every little piece of it figured out. We understand he's coming back. He's given assignment and until that happens, and we just need to give ourselves to loving God and loving others in to, until he comes. So with that, then again, what do we do? We live as a witness. That was the last thing he told us. Roll with the last thing. You know, we've done this parenting thing for a while now with our oldest about to be 27. We've had lots of moments of walking out the door and giving some instructions to children when we say, guess what, we're coming back. Um, what we expect them to do is the list of things that we did. What they want to know is what time do we expect you so that in the last 30 minutes before we walk through the door, they're like, hey, clean it up. Hey, everybody fix this. So that they can kind of do whatever they want and then kind of fix it in the last 30 minutes. And so, um, so that is not what we're called to be. That's an immature view. That is often why we want to desperately know what's the time, what's the moment. We're uncomfortable with just doing what we're called to do. We're just uncomfortable with it. Let's just do what we're called to do. Just live as a witness. Again, Acts 1.8, that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. Do not misunderstand God's slowness and misunderstand that, that all of a sudden say, well, he, he's just not going to come. No, his heart is for people to come to repentance. You know what? I'm pretty thankful that Jesus didn't come back in 1945. I wasn't going to be alive. My children will not be alive. My grandchildren are not alive. But you know what? There was atrocities happening in the world in 1945. And people were like, let's just get out of here. 
It was hellacious in Europe, horrible. People were like, let's just get, let's pull the ripcord, let's be out of here. And God's love and grace, he is so patient. He is so patient because he wants the fullness of his people to come to a place of repentance. Sometimes we can get frustrated with God's slowness in some other areas. But I'm telling you, his slowness is always his grace at work. It's just always his grace at work. Next one is, is live ready. We live as a witness and live ready. Luke chapter 12, verse 35 says, and uh, Jesus is <clears throat> addressing his disciples and says, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning like the servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. He's coaching us. He's telling us this is what we need to be doing. We need to be active. We need to be doing what we're called to do when, as, until he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. He's like, that is what we're supposed to do. We understand that as we look towards the end with there in heaven, there's a table prepared. Christ has served. What are we supposed to do until we sit at that table with him? We're supposed to live ready. We're supposed to live in an awareness of what he's done and what needs to be accomplished. It'll be good. Come on up, man. It'll be good for those whose servants, whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come when you do not expect him. And then Titus 2, verse 11 for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the Lord, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We live the lives God's called us to live. We allow grace to teach us to say no to ungodliness. So many times we can sit there and freak out and say, man, this world is getting so oppressive and it's just getting so far away from where it's called to be. Guess what? This world's always been messed up. It's always been messed up. It's not more broken. Outside of Christ, it's total depravity. We were fooling ourselves if we thought we had built a culture that you could not have God at the center of it and have some sort of niceness. It's a lie. Our depravity may have been hidden more. Our depravity may have been covered up with some stuff and not thrown out there, but there was brokenness in homes all over the place. There were shattered lives all over the place. They may have been painted up and looked a little prettier on the outside, but there was brokenness everywhere. 
The answer has always been Jesus. The answer, our community has always needed Jesus. It has always been that. And guess what? It's just now stark reality in our face. It's on social media. It's everywhere. But guess what? The answer has always been Jesus. His grace comes in and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's not the law. It's not some sort of weighty thing. It's his work in our lives that teaches us that. Our bottom line this morning is this, is our daily lives need to be guided by eternal life. We need to have an eternal life mindset. And in that, that will guide our daily lives in this present age. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.